Coming Up Next Time podcast is brought to you in part by Built to Ride. Head over to builttoride.ca and pick up some coffee or apparel. Use the exclusive listener code COMEUP when you check out for an additional 20% off your order. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right. Boy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Barry Moore. Affectionately known as Goaty or Goat Boy on Enduro Memes, my next guest is one of the top, if not the top, hard Enduro rider in North America. He has a long list of accomplishments, most impressive of all being the first American to podium at the Red Bull Hair Scramble. He conquered the Iron Giant, placing second his very first attempt. The next year, he followed up with a third place finish. Two injuries and a pandemic later, he'll have waited four years for his next chance at the top step. Coming up next, this is Cody Webb. We're recording, right? I think yeah, I see yeah, it. Okay. Yeah, Just yeah. making see, sure. The super fan, uh, Tyson Raffin, like literally uh, just the tiniest bit of your FXR uh, sleeve was out in the blotted photo. And he's just like, that's Cody Webb. <laughs> <laughs> People know you can't, you can't, I can't get away with things anymore. No. Like the other day we were out trials riding and apparently the place I was at was closed for muddy conditions, even though it wasn't muddy. I don't, I don't know. But I was I was out there riding, and then we got stopped by a ranger, and luckily I didn't run because I don't know, it's not a good idea to do. <laughs> you just plead your case, and the ranger was super cool, and he recognized me, and I didn't have any registration. He's like, "Do you have papers for your bike?" And I was like, "Honestly, I don't even own this bike, uh, so you know, I don't know how I do get papers for it." <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and then he's like, I thought I recognized you. So I don't know. Maybe I just got lucky and he let us off the hook. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. It worked in my, it worked in my favor that time. There you go. I, I remember seeing a video a couple of years ago. Uh, I think you were walking around Erzberg and uh, you're just dressed like in regular clothes. It was like a Red Bull kind of thing. Oh yeah. They did yeah. like a, a walkthrough thing of the camp and I don't know. It's pretty fun. Just like, I, I, that place is just a party, but yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's just like sweet. Like everybody's like, and some of the people wanted to get a photo with you just cause you were tall. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of wild. Um, so you've been, you've been at this since you were like uh, a little kid, eh? 15 years old or younger than that. I mean, I started riding motorcycles when I was three, four years old, going to events. My dad was a trials rider. So yeah. like at, at two years old, I was going to national events all across the states um i think even in canada my dad was born in canada so oh nice yeah uh british columbia so whereabouts um on vancouver island he lived there in victoria my family's from like victoria area and a little bit like nanaimo and duncan okay so up there and then uh not too many of them are left anymore unfortunately yeah. but i do have some cousins um about they're way up there, like six hours north of Toronto. So I don't know what is past Toronto, but I think they're pretty far up there. Like Sudbury and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Thunder yeah, Bay. It might be Sudbury. Yes. I haven't seen them in a while, but yeah. So I just, I just grew up going to trials events with my dad and riding a bicycle around and basically forced myself to be on a motorcycle and road trials. That's all I did. I thought I was going to be world trials champion by the time I was 15. That was my goal. And oh, wow. It didn't work out, but uh, some other goals fell into place, and I didn't start riding enduro bikes till I was 19, and just kind of took off on that, and trying not to stop because I don't want a real job. 
Yeah, that's fair, man. Yeah. Like running from the real job. I, I like your style. Yeah. I was uh, uh, listening to a few other podcasts, I guess, like try, just trying to get some background and, and try not to make you have the same interview that you always have kind of thing. Yeah. The guys were trying to get, they're goading you uh, with the, the rivalry between you and Colton Haker. And uh, you weren't taking the bait. You were being like super chill about it. Yeah. They just, they, they shoot for that sometimes and they, they want drama, you know, I think yeah. you're talking about Colt MX and they're, yeah, so. they're all about the drama there. I don't think it's even about motorcycles. It's all the drama. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. I met, I got to meet Colton at uh, a Red Bull event in Calgary and uh, like, he seemed pretty chill. So I like, other than competition between you guys having that kind of rival rivalry, I couldn't see a off the course kind of crap like yeah yeah you have two guys at the top of their sport like obviously they're going to be butting heads like yeah. it's like same thing with all animals you know like they're someone wants to be an alpha and you kind of butt heads so that's right yeah i think it's it's nature it is what it is and now we got that other canadian kid tristan hart trying yeah. to weasel his way in with us and i think i think i'm no longer like the threat i'm, I'm the old guy now you know so he's got this young this young guy trying to make, make, make himself an alpha. So now I think I'm going to let them do their thing and I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. There you go. You'll, you'll get hopefully the rivalry switches over. Oh, <laughs> that'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Tristan in, in a, just after last dog standing, I think he wants to talk to me and then uh, I'll, I'll bust his balls. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so that I, I reached out to him cause he, we have a mutual friend, uh, him and I, and then I reached out to him just to see, if you want to try to to goat you or whatever, like send a message, <laughs> but he was pretty cool. But he was just like, I wasn't trying to stir the pot. I was just like, I don't know how, like I imagine everybody's sort of friendly except for on race day. Like, uh, yeah, no, I think everyone is still pretty relaxed for the most part on race day, especially with the hard enduro stuff. It's more spread out, not quite as aggressive, but it does seem like everyone's getting better. So the aggression is going up in that series, but with enduro cross, your racing is so short. Like you got to take advantage of anything you can. Yeah, in enduro cross or like in the long, uh, like the longer enduros, you used to have time, but now it seems like you don't have time. Like a five minute window no longer exists. Like it. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard to gap those guys now. Everyone's gotten better, and um, for a while I felt like no one could touch me in the states at the hard enduro stuff. And I guess you can only kind of be on top for so long before everyone else like they're shooting for something up here, you know, and like, where do I have to shoot for? Like, I'm kind of, I almost, it almost got to the point where I had it too easy. So now it's like, I definitely have my game and I'm riding harder and faster than ever before. Cause everyone else raised their level at the rev limiter. You guys were all like seconds apart from each other on your qualifying lap. Like that's insane. Yeah. Basically mean you all ran the same lap. Like, yeah. <laughs> just about just a little bit yeah. different things here and there and yeah. not not necessarily this year at rev limiter um tristan and i had a little bit of battles but i was able to get ahead of them uh but last year we definitely were putting the hammer down a little bit more and the temperatures were super hot and i mean i got back to the truck and i just i don't even know who i gave my bike to and i just crawled and laid in the trailer like i was i was done i was and we still had the final one hour race <laughs> like i felt like i was seeing ghosts and we like duct tape ice to the bottom of my feet and my chest. And I was just trying, I was so overheated and both Tristan and I ran out of water in like an hour and a half race. Like that's, we were just, it was so hot and we were pushing it so hard and, and I didn't want to lose and neither did he. 
yeah, that's the thing, eh? That spirit of, of victory. Like, yeah. Uh, does it ever get you in trouble? Like maybe off the track? Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, but I, maybe when I was younger, I would do something stupid. But uh, now I'm, I don't take risks unless I really need to. So I'm normally pretty patient, I think. Kind yeah, of analytical. You seem pretty smooth. Like uh, yeah. I was watching you go through um, the Erzberg in 2017, like your first time when you got to second place. You're going 16, through, 2016. Uh, yeah, I'm horrible with dates, man. Like I'll just talk about it right now. Uh, the, uh, I know you, po- you podiumed in second. You guys are going through like the final rock garden and, uh, and just like you picked a better line and it just seemed like you're just picking away at, at it. And we have rock gardens here. So I know it's not like you can't see a perfect line. You're just sort of like winging it half the way. Yeah. I, I just tell people to aim for the big rocks because the big rocks don't move. But then, <laughs> but then if you, but the problem is if you do go two big rocks and you know, they swallow your whole bike. So you gotta be yeah, a little careful fine. of big holes, but I don't know, whatever I'm doing training schools or anything like that, like people always are weaseling through the rocks and dragging their swing arms and bending their rotors. And I'm like, just go over the rocks. Makes you may not think so, but it makes your life easier sometimes. That's crazy. That's crazy. And uh and was it uh so 16, 17, 18 you were injured? Yeah, 18 I was an idiot and I broke my foot and tore a ligand in my knee, like in qualifying at Erzberg. Oh shit the second day. So I'd already made front row and I was just I was like, Oh, we'll see how this goes right off the bat. I was like, Oh my God, this is so rough. Like calm down. Like I got, had one close call and then instantly I was like, I hit, I don't know. I think I hit a rock and just started fishtailing and I crashed pretty hard. It was, it was like just mentally defeating and saddening, you know, I was pissed. I felt, I felt really prepared going into it that year. Um, and then 2019, I was doing some filming thing a week before I left, and I blew my knee out like really, really bad, and lost all chances again. And then you know 2020, COVID, 2021, COVID. So I literally won't race Erzberg for essentially four years before I go back again. That's insane. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, I know they just. And my, my contract ends next year. I'm going to need to sign a contract just to go back to Harrisburg. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> just just go for, yeah, I got. I just have to go again. I can't go down with not being able to race. You know. Yeah, how's it like? Um, it must have been like a tough thing to to swallow, like uh, being basically right there, ready to go, everything working out, and then all of a sudden it not. That must have been. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. I mean, last year, pretty much we we figured it was going to get canceled because everything was yeah. like nothing was happening. Um, and this year it was looking pretty promising. There were going to be no spectators. And we basically got the go. I got a letter from the FIM saying that I can travel for business. This isn't tourism. And I'm like, all right, like let's we we had bought flights, but um we were right there we had everything reserved ready to go and then like a week before they announced it i got a message from someone high up at red bull media saying hey Erzberg's canceled and i'm like but why haven't they announced it i don't know it was just i was in this weird limbo for a week yeah not knowing what's going to happen and 
I saw Tristan and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I heard from someone it's canceled. That's pretty high up. So don't get your hopes up. And then unfortunately, you know, those guys were all in Portugal over last weekend for the Ligaris race. And man, if that got turned upside down real quick. And I think uh, Erzberg announced like the very next day or that same day, the cancelization, like the can't, how they're going to cancel it. And I think, yeah. I think that was a really good idea because, you know, people plan this out. Like this is a big thing for a lot of people. And, yep. uh, you know, I wish we would have known earlier. Oh man. But it is what it is. You know, locally we have riders who plan to go and they, it's like a one year plan, right? Like they, yeah. they train all year long to go. They, they scrape and save all the money that they can get. And then they, you know, privateers, they show up and they want to be one of the 500. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, geez. And this year just sucks. Like, uh, I, I got the, a notice this morning saying that it was closed and it sort of sucked. Like, I'm not, there's not guy, I'm not going to go. I'd just be carrying gasoline and money over there. Like, I yeah. But you're just saying, like, for the people in general that want to yeah. go and just to be see part it. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've never seen anything that big in Canada. Uh, we wouldn't even get 500 people, including the spectators at any of our enduro events you know like, yeah and there there's like almost 2000 people yeah <laughs> to ride and then all the chaos it's it's just like burning man for gearheads and yeah yeah that's it's, it's wild that's never like burning man for gearheads and down. i think i think when i retire or when i just <clears throat> don't care anymore about trying to do well there yeah i'll go and i'll actually participate in the beer tent activities cuz that does look pretty fun but i i never get to take advantage of it cuz you need like every ounce of hydration and electrolytes you can to try and finish that race. Oh, I believe it. Like the, uh, Carl designs it so that like his goal is only one guy can cross the line and yeah. annoyed that more and more of you guys are making it over. <laughs> yeah. It's hit or miss. The last yeah. couple of years, quite a bit of people finished, but I think the year I got second, only nine people finished the year before that was fought the year before that. No one would have finished. He made it too hard. And then they, they all had to team up. Yeah, and pull each other up that uh, I don't know downtown. I it. Yeah, downtown, or which Greenhill. is basically now Green Hill. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's been so long now since we raced there, and we're not going to race there till June of next year. Uh, it's an ever-changing environment there. Like that whole pit area at Green Hill, like we go underneath that bridge. Yeah. It it's different every year, so that bridge may not even be there by the time we get back. Who knows? That's insane. Yeah, I was going to ask you about coming out the other side on that bridge. Like, you're a tall guy, man. And it looks like people just scrape underneath. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's It it looks worse than what it is. I don't know. It's like a death perception thing, but it's like you have to duck. It's not. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. That's It just looks. It like, looks worse yeah. than what it is, okay. even in person. Oh, okay. But then you get down like from far away and then you get there and you're like, oh, okay, there's a little bit, a little bit of room. There you go. That's not so yeah. bad. Yeah. And uh, and so I guess uh, Hard Enduro's been making a big move in America. And uh, I know you're pretty happy about that. There used to be only like one or two races, and now you have sort of like a series. A whole on series, yeah. I mean, it's it's great. The schedule's a little wonky for everyone. <laughs> we're we're yeah. like ping-ponging back and forth across America. I mean, America is already bigger than Europe to begin with pretty much. Right. Yeah, and now we're like full on ping pong and back and forth. So, for it's great to have the series and you know all the media part of it, and 
that's great, but the grassroots side of things, it's hard for, you know, average Joe to show up and hit all of them, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I think they learned a lot this year. This is the kind of the first year for the full, whole full thing, you know? Okay. Um, so I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what happens next year with it and learning from the mistakes this year. And, you know, growing up riding trials, it, you know, we went everywhere and there's only, you know, there was not that many events every year. I think the yeah. most national trials events I ever did in the year was 13, but it was nice that, you know, you would do a West coast run. You'd do like a Colorado and California or, New Mexico and Arizona, like back-to-back weekends. And then you would have like a Pennsylvania and Virginia on back-to-back weekends on the East Coast. So you can, you know, if you can leave your van and fly back home or that part was a little, you know, easier financially. But like right now for the factory teams, we ought to be in Pennsylvania one weekend and then all the way in California, basically at Reno area, the next, and then back in Ohio, the weekend after that, like you're really ping pong at that point. Yeah, there's a lot of windshield time. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Holy smokes. And that's uh yeah, that's insane. Like you'd think they would sort of yeah, have just sort of like a, a progression. So you started this part and you end up at the Yeah, pink. they they tried with some of the races. I mean, there was supposed to be a California race and an Idaho race at Silver Mountain back to back. Uh but unfortunately I talked to the promoter at the uh, California race. And there's still just too much snow up on the in the Sierra Nevadas there for him to mark the course. Oh, and wow. the course is only in like a month. So he's worried about not like he really wants to do it right, you know, instead of just week of trying to ribbon it all together. So I get that. I respect that too. And at least he didn't tell us the week before, hey, there's too much snow, guys. Sorry. <laughs> a couple of the guys I know uh wanted to know about your switch from KTM to 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 Sherco. Yeah. Um, and the way I look at it, it's like from the, the Sherco press release, uh, it's just basically you're just going back to, to where you started. Like, Yeah, I don't know. There was, a, there was a lot of things, a little bit of that, but I just felt like it all kind of came down to the Super Enduro Championship, I think, in 2019. Okay. Um, I was leading the series, and then I had a race where my chain snapped, and I lost. I got zero points in that whole moto but still somehow finished second on the night, but I, I'd lost 20 points to Colton. Okay. And then he had like a 12 point gap all of a sudden out of nowhere when I was up eight or something like that. Okay. I forget exactly what it was. And then the final round, I thought I had no chance of winning because Colton never finished off the podium in every race. And then I won the first moto. He finished a little ways back second moto. He won, but I was right on him. And then in the final moto, he just literally mentally fell apart and, um, I basically won the championship, but in the final corner, his teammate waited for him at the finish, took another dude out and Colton went from fifth, which was me winning the championship to third place. And I lost the world championship from like some really shitty team tactics. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess I'm not over now, but I'm pretty much over now. I've accepted it. It sucks. Yeah. It is what it is. They looked like fools. And I looked like an idiot too. Cause I was pissed throwing a temper tantrum on the track but you know i went from basically thinking i was world champ to to losing it all so you know husky ktm and now gas gas they're all the same thing um you know the team manager here in the states for ktm kind of has a say in all three brands and what they do so uh 
I just, that happened to me and I was really upset that I lost out on a championship from some weird team tactics like that on basically my own team, you know, Hus- team. like Husky and KTM. They're like the mechanics and everyone's traveling together. They help each other. Yeah. Um, you know, race day, the team tactics are different. Uh, they don't share things, but you know, they, everything else is shared and I lost the world championship, super pissed about that. And then I felt like KTM just had too much of a control on the riders. They had a monopoly and, uh, they were kind of just bossing us around too much. Okay. I felt, you know, I was, I didn't have a kid then, um, didn't get hurt and blow my knee out, but I was still like kind of young and wanting to travel. And I wanted to go to Europe and it got to the point where like European riders are European riders and American riders are American riders. And I was like, okay, well I get it. Like I want to try and do these races. Like I want to be one of the best people in the world of this. And now I'm just going to be quarantined into my own series here. So uh, I had, Churko approached me. They got a new importer here in the States and kind of were just going to let me do whatever I wanted to do. That's sweet. And that was nice for sure. Um, so there was that. And then it basically came down to like, I just felt like I was a a puppet for him or like a, just a number on another number on the squad. And if I wasn't there, they'll get someone else. Oh, wow. So, so that's why I ended up at Sherco. That's sweet. and it's been pretty awesome. I mean, I have a really good relationship with my mechanics. I think that really helps out a lot. Um, we talk pretty much every day. I've done a ton of, I guess, development on the side for aftermarket stuff. So like with Recluse, um, P3 skid plates, a bunch of other stuff. So I've kind of been helping with that. And then I had like, I went to school for engineering. So I enjoy that stuff. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that's a little bit different is just it's such a new program that like the logistics of KTM are like, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how it's been done since, you know, the last five years or something like that. And now we're just hopping in and figuring this stuff out. So kind of right now, that's the only thing I'd say we're lacking a little bit is just logistical side of things. Cause it's, it's still new and we're a way smaller program with less funding. So we don't have as much, I guess people had allocated to do things. So a lot of people are doing bigger jobs than what they should be doing. Like my mechanic right now, he does more than he ever would have done at KTM. He came from KTM too. We, we kind of stole him That's with sweet. me, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm Josh. He, no, it wasn't Josh. It's uh, his name is Cody. He's Cody also Cody Richler for. That's sweet. So um, no, it's been great. And, you know, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm not bitter at KTM. I just like giving people a hard time. So, uh, Shurko just came out with a new ad today, which I really liked. It said, uh, um, it just says stand up, stand out. And then just Shurko and it shows a Shurko. And then in the background, it's just a bunch of sheep. And I feel like that's pretty fitting because people don't know why they love KTM. They just love KTM to like KTM. And there's, plenty of other brands out there. I mean, Sherco, I've been really happy with the bike. You know, I rode beta for four years and, you know, I thought that was a really great bike too. I mean, I haven't ridden any of the new ones, but when I first got on the KTM, I had a really hard time 
getting comfortable on it because I didn't really like the uh, motor power delivery back in 2015. I feel like Sherco and um, Beta kind of, they come from trials, right? So like Beta was originally a trials bike, Sherco was a trials bike. So their motors just have like a lot of low end grunt, which is really good for the hard enduro stuff. And when I first was on that KTM, before we kind of knew what we were doing with the hard enduro stuff, uh, kind of struggled a little bit with just the power delivery, even though a two strokes, a two stroke, but I fit, we figured it out obviously. And yeah, then, sure. yeah. and then they went TPI and I was really excited for that at first. And then I wrote it and I was no longer excited about it. So, but they got, but they got better and better every year. So they're only going to keep getting better. And, uh, same thing with, you know, four strokes when four strokes went from carb to fuel injection, they were, uh, kind of scary at first. I think Suzuki figured out how to get rid of the death bog before the rest of them did. Yeah. They, they probably still have the same fuel injector and motor since then, but yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like the Yamaha philosophy. If you get it right, stay with it. And yeah, yeah. 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 From, I mean, the, what the Yamaha motors probably been the same since 2002 now to now, but few changes maybe yeah geometry is similar like yeah you no know, my one of my good friends he rides oh the, they have the 06 the 06 they went to aluminum frame and i'm pretty sure it's still the same frame yeah oh yeah he like i swear to god he buys it every year because it's the same bike so he just gets it refreshed yeah but he's totally familiar with and and then that's it like uh he rides the snot out of it so whatever man like if they just put like a like a decent e-start on one of those and a hydraulic clutch that's it they would probably like that's all they'd have to do, and they'd they'd probably be right there. So your trials uh, background, hands down, has given you an advantage uh, for hard enduro. That and being like a giant, uh, like what are you like six four or six two? Six three. Six I don't two. think it works good for hill climbs. Well, it works good for hill climbs when you can't ride them anymore. But like, there's that fine line where it's not good. Yeah, but fair. it's pretty helpful. I'll give you that. Oh man, I like uh, I'm a short guy. Uh, and I'm always envious of the taller fellas because uh, when things get sideways, you can put your foot down and I can't. So it's just. Yeah. But the problem is when I do, when I can't put my foot down, it's obviously in a very bad situation. So things can go bad real quick. Yeah, that's fair. Like, yeah. yeah. But normally it doesn't happen too often. But yeah, for sure. I mean, trials riding is massive. Every single top hardened row guy in Europe. They were all ex-trials riders. I mean, Billy Bolt, Johnny, Taddy, Alfredo, Graham. Um, and now there's like a weird little hybrid of people that didn't come directly from trials. But like even Manny Lettenbeekler, who's got insane skills. I do I do know that he rides trials a lot. Tristan didn't come, ride, did not come from trials, but he rides a ton of trials. Colton Hager came from motocross and then rode trials a ton because we grew up in the same area. So he, he used to ride trials a bunch with me and then crossed over back to the dirt bike. So he's, he's got a weird mix of moto and trials in his style. So, um, for sure trials is like cheating. Yeah. When it comes to hard enduro. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> but it, I mean, it takes seat time anyway. Uh, just, I feel like you guys get to play a different way on the trials bike than, you know, it's a little lighter, a little more. Yeah. You you just learn a lot more about timing and knowing where, where your rear tire is. Um, you kind of become more in sync with the bike. Whereas 
if you grew up riding only riding dirt bikes or moto or enduro, like you're, you're just going a lot faster on the trail and you hit things fast and it kind of, it'll kind of buff out and there's not as much precision. So when you get in the hard enduro stuff, you're a little bit going a little bit slower and you don't want to make, you're going through really technical terrain. Your timing is never going to be as good as a guy that rode trials because their balance is there, their clutch control is there, throttle control. And I just tell people that I always have an idea where my rear tire is and know when to give a gas and know when to not give a gas. That's fair. Um, so uh, kind of circling back to uh, somewhere in the beginning, we were talking about how like you're sort of the the older guy and the younger guys are chasing you, giving you a little push uh, and then connecting it to your desire to go to Europe. Was that like your, your hope? Like if you went over to do battle with the European riders, you'd have somebody to chase. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely it. I felt like the best riders in the world were there. So I wanted to be there too. Um, and at the time here in the States, we weren't quite up the par and I think we've definitely upped our game still, but those guys are, they're definitely still better than us. So it's just a lot more difficult now that, uh, I have a family and bills and yeah. two dogs. And I mean, we could, we could theor- theoretically move there and, and rent a place, but like, I, I love my dogs, but like, I, I, they're not like little chihuahuas. I can't just put them on our lap on the plane and fly with them. So enough, eh? I'd have to have like my parents be like, Hey, can you watch the dogs for two years until we come back? Um, it's just a really big commitment. And that's a big ask. Yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, yeah, sure. We didn't have as much going on in our lives as we do now. And now it just kind of feels like every day is just keeping your head above water, treading, treading water, trying to keep good, keep getting by. So I feel like I've kind of missed out on that opportunity. That's why now with Sherco, I have that offer, like the ability to kind of pick and choose which ones I want to do. Okay. But um, now that all these races are kind of being canceled again. Like, I don't know. I think for sure I'm planning on doing Romaniacs. There's a race in Italy coming up, but it's just so tight in our schedule. I mean, I, at the same time I'm contracted as an American racer to do American races. And I, it's just a lot to go back and forth with jet lag and all the travel. And then your possibility of getting sick from being exposed to so many people in the airports is, uh, yeah. You know, you're run down, your immune system shot and it, I don't know when I was younger, I didn't think about it, but like, it does really take a toll on your body, all that traveling back and forth. Oh, sure. So, um, you know, like when the timing's right, I want to go. So like Romaniacs and then later in the year, um, the enduro cross schedules coming out, like, I think it's supposed to be coming out this week, two days from now, I think. So we'll kind of get an idea with what's going on there. Cause you know, there's some more extreme races in Europe in the later part of the year that I really want to make it to. So it's just hard to commit to a full season because, you know, I'm racing here full time. I'm racing enduro cross full time, select races over there. I mean, those guys are basically doing, you know, maybe some local stuff here and there, but they don't have as many races really as what we have going on and they don't have to travel as far. Yeah, it's fair. Like, yeah, everything's close. Like mm-hmm. uh, when I went to Europe, it just seemed like everything was just a bus ride away if you wanted here. Yeah. North America is pretty wide. <laughs> and yeah. It's especially like out in like the Western States a little bit. Like if you're driving through Wyoming, like you're out there. Yeah. Like, 
it's it's sparse beautiful country but it's everything like people are few and far between in some of those parts yeah man it's because some guy owns like as far as you can see and then the next yeah. farm is on the other. An oil guy has yeah. all the uh, all the land out there. That's it. So you moved to to Colorado from California. Yeah. And how do you, how are you finding living in the mountains? Uh, I mean, I'm basically like on the edge of the mountains. I'm mountain okay. prairie. I, I'd call it prairie land. We're basically around Denver area, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a big prairie out here, but at least you got like beautiful mountains to look out to your west. Um, but no, I'm enjoying it. I think. It's just like things change a lot after we had a kid and I was paying a ridiculous amount of property tax for terrible schools, like two out of 10 on ratings. Okay. And it wasn't like I'm in a bad area, like I'm in an expensive area, but I don't have $3 million to buy a, a teardown fixer up home to be <laughs> somewhere where we want to be. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I know exactly. it's not, it's not realistic there. I don't know where the wealth is coming from but not from me yeah um so i mean i loved i still love it there and really didn't want to leave but it just it wasn't like what i remember growing up there anymore and um you know now we're here we've got just a small little starter home thing and really good schools for my kid i don't you know we'll i don't know how long we'll stay here or whatnot but um, just looking for something new and a little, just a little bit better quality of life and hoping that my tax dollars actually go to something meaningful instead of, I don't know what it was going to back in California. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, you know, I think last year I read was like the first time there was a decrease in the California population. So yep. I'm not the only one. No, man, it seems to be like the trend. Yeah. And everyone in Cal, like, I don't know. I, didn't know for sure. I was definitely afraid of the snow when we moved here because I wasn't too far from the coast yeah. originally. And it would like it never snowed, like maybe snowed once at my house my whole life growing up. Fair. And it, it didn't stick. It stuck for like five minutes and then it was gone. Um, so I was worried about coming here. But I mean, it's kind of like a weird high desert in these plains. And the sun is so intense here. Yes. It melts. Like it'll snow one in the nighttime and snow a little bit in the morning. And then by the afternoon, it's gone in my yard and I can go head south a little bit and still ride. So I don't know. I don't mind it yet, but I also haven't been here long enough. So ask me in like three years and then yeah, I'll tell you how bad it sucks. When you get a really good snowstorm, uh, I'm sure you guys have like a Costco somewhere. You should uh, take your truck or whatever, go to the Costco and just do donuts. Like, <laughs> yeah, just really let it loose. Yeah, man. So then you figure out how how to drive in the in the. Street. We had it was like not long after we moved here, but I guess it was one of like the fourth worst storm in Denver history. But it wasn't. It was a lot of snow, but it was. I think it was more the wind that made it a bad storm because I don't know. Maybe there was about almost two feet in parts of my yard but then like against my shed door it was like the wind just blew it was like super deep in some parts yeah. depending on where like the snow drift was so i think i don't know the storm didn't live up to what i was expecting i expected something wild and that's i don't know i don't know the thing about winter storms is they're sort of gentle like uh the snow just keeps stacking up and then yeah that's, that's that part's day, true and then you're just like holy shit like <laughs> and it's a, it's nice like you get a nice workout in the morning when you shovel some snow out of the way like yeah it's good for you 
Like, yeah, it's good training. Yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. From a, for an athlete, it's the stuff, man. You'll be yeah, able to I don't mind the it. Snow off your grass just to get the extra shovelfuls. <laughs> yeah, awesome. might as well just throw it in the neighbor's yard. Yeah, they'll appreciate it. The kids will love it. You did a really kind thing for Tristan uh, at Erzberg. You gave him your brake lines. Like, yeah. What? Why? Well, <laughs> well, just one of my brake lines. Oh, one. Yeah. Well, what, like, what well that was that was when. I blew, that was when I got hurt like the week before and I was, I don't know. I basically only went cause I had already bought my tickets and they weren't refundable. Yeah. And I had my travel per diem from KTM. So I was like, well, I'm going to go and still try and race just so I get my money back from, for my travel to pay for my flight. That's awesome. <laughs> but, uh, and at that time, like we had just, I literally, the day I blew my knee out, uh, my wife flew down to where I was to drive me home the next day. So I go to my ortho and she told me that night that she was pregnant. So that was like probably the most whirlwind of a day in my life from thinking my life is done to going, Oh shoot, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> so it started with that. And then, so I was just like on a high, even though I was super bummed, super bummed anyway. So at the time her parents were living in Munich um, Germany. So we all flew out there and we kind of, even though it was really soon into finding out she was pregnant, we had to tell them that we were having a kid. So they were excited with that and just kind of did some touring stuff. Cause I knew I had no chance at the race. Yeah. I was just going to attempt to ride. Um, I did the prologue and I somehow got second row without even being able to sit on my bike correctly. I was pretty proud of that. I'd say, I'd say yeah. Yeah. Especially because like I beat a lot of people and like I kind of felt bad for them, but like I was also super proud of myself that I beat them <laughs> for not being able to sit on my bike correctly. Um, so in the main race, I crashed right off the bat and went over the handlebars in the puddle. It was super embarrassing. Oh, shit. Yeah. I, they, there was a huge puddle and they were like taking mud with a loader to try and fill the mud hole a little bit. And I was like, Oh, I went all the way outside. Cause I knew I didn't really have a chance. So I was like, oh, I'll see what I can do. And I literally just augered into the mud over the handlebars into like the swamp at the bottom of the mine. So it didn't hurt my knee any more than it was already hurt. I had it like fully wrapped up from my toes all the way up to like past my thigh to keep the swelling down. Um, so it wasn't very comforting and I couldn't bend my knee all the way, but I can halfway stand as long as I didn't put my legs straight. And just, so I just basically was in a squat trying to ride and not put my foot down. It was really stupid, but yeah. I should have pulled out sooner than I did, but I rode uh, pretty far into the race and passed some people. And I was just kind of letting people pass me and just kind of having fun and like yelling at riders, like cheering them on kind of, and then as soon as I got to like the first bad bottleneck, I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm over. Yeah. Like, this is stupid now. I don't want, there's no point. So, and I knew I wasn't going to finish the race. Um, so I kind of basically just rode around. I snuck around the mine because I wanted to go to Carl's diner and help other riders. <laughs> and I had to keep avoiding all the workers. And then I was also really trying to avoid race course because I didn't want the like helicopter to come on me. I think I was leading the race. So like I had to go this crazy way to like sneak around everyone mid race to get to Carl's diner dinner or whatever it is. And then I basically ended up on the bottom of Carl's dinner and uh, Tristan was doing really well. I think like 
11th, but he was running top 10 for a while. Okay. I believe like ninth, and he came um, down near the end and he's like, I have no front brake. Like I lost my front brake and uh, you know, my bike is right there and I'm like, take mine. Like you, you can't, I'm like, I knew what was coming and I knew you, you can't ride it. If you, even if you want to lock it, like you're just going to throw your bike down if you don't have a front brake because it's so steep. Even skidding the rear, it's not enough. Okay. Um, so it was basically me like hobbling, running back and forth between our bikes. And I was a rider, so I can help them, you know, right? Yep. Even though I cut the course kind of. So uh, I took everything off my bike. I had tools. He had some tools. And we just swapped the whole front brake line system. And what happened, I think, to him was uh, he nicked the hydraulic line so it was just leaking fluid so no pressure yeah so i hung out there a little while longer and i wanted to try and get to the finish for some of the other riders so it was really cool i got to see i think i pretty sure i remember seeing tristan finish the race um but i he does owe me because riding back out of where i was without a front brake and a blown out acl was very sketchy it was (laughs) it was not comforting at all but I made it out. Yeah, fair enough. Certainly yeah. nothing that duct tape could fix, that's for sure. Yeah, but I mean, like, why wouldn't I help him out? I don't know. I had it wasn't my race. That's true. It was, I just yeah. thought it was pretty cool, man. Like, it says a lot about your character. Like, uh, yeah. there's plenty of guys, but like, that's a him problem. And then yeah. uh, you had some uh, some way to help. Him. I don't know. I mean, I've <laughs> ridden with him a bunch back home and done some training and uh, riding together and. Uh, you know, I want to see a North American guy do well, even though he's not American. I'll let the I'll let the Canadian slide because my dad was born there. <laughs> Fair enough, eh? Like, uh, oh, you got some yeah. being in you. Like, yeah. Uh, I I wonder if I wonder if he'll uh, if he will get on the podium. That'd be crazy because, like, you know how you speak about um, the Americans going over to to Europe and they're just being like out of your league kind of thing or whatever. Uh, that's the same thing. Like, for, we're good. We're just not like there. Yeah. I mean, I beat all of them on different occasions. Just yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like, yeah, you're not putting them on a, a pedestal above you. It's just like the the level is is high and it's very high there. Yeah. yeah, when we go to America to race, guys that think that they're fast, they find out pretty quick that like Canada fast is not America fast. <laughs> like just yeah, like the GNCCs, they're they're ridiculous. Yeah, I, like holy Christ. I went. And I my hands were just completely numb from carpal tunnel. Like. 15 minutes into the race and I'm like, I can't ride a, without feeling the handle. I'm just going to ride where I'm having fun and not kill myself. That's great. Like how fast is a GNCC compared to a hard enduro? I, I mean, I think they're all different, but I, I did not enjoy it too much. It's a full sprint. Hey, like, yeah. I mean, we'd come out of like a little short tree section that was just like ruts everywhere. And it was wild. Just like you, you can't even like look ahead far enough to see where you're going to end up. So there's like bushes and, I don't know. It's pretty gnarly. And then you just drop onto a road that has like square edges this deep and you're just, people are like fifth gear through that. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is not safe. Yeah, no, I don't think it's safe. And then they think I'm an idiot for riding through rocks. So it, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, I guess. Yeah, it is a, it's a perception thing, I guess. But I think falling like one body height at 10 kilometers an hour versus falling your body height at 50 kilometers an hour 
it's like yeah there's a big difference there yeah 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 and then you like you'd be like wide open through a grass field and then there's like a low spot that just has like gnarly mud bogs and you basically like come at that and i think i was like in six because i rode a 250f sherco okay i came out of that in six and then i would like shift down and just lean back and just like hope and pray that i wouldn't go over the handlebars in this mud hole like fully tapped oh it's scary oh my god man but to them like they know what they're doing i don't yeah it's i guess it's what you're used to uh yeah. have, you, have you done any desert riding like desert races uh no desert races i mean king of motos is like the closest to a desert race i've done and that's i almost want like a bigger bike if i'm going to do a desert race because you basically have to stand the whole time because you never know what's coming Oh, like the 1290s or something? Whatever. Like- no, not like a 1290, but like just like a bike that's a little taller for me because I'm so tall. So I'm like hunched over, like awkward the whole time on my bike flat out going fast. And after like an hour of that, it's just, I'm over it. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. That's fair, man. The desert isn't flat. Like it's, no, it's just like, flat. I mean, it kind of looks flat, but there's just, there's drainages everywhere. So you're like always up and down rollers from people just going rrr, 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 in their jeep like i mean you can go fast if you know what's like i just don't know what's coming and i don't trust it yeah that's fair and like uh the tumbleweeds uh, yeah in shrubbery sort of hiding the fallen logs and big rock like the guys that race dakar like yes props to them yeah man like uh, they don't even know where they're going either like they they're looking at like a, a roll chart and flat out and like over a blind riser and just kind of just hope and pray that doesn't turn after or something. The, uh, I, I guess like, uh, I was watching a little bit of it earlier this year, uh, uh, Toby price crashing and stuff like that. And just like, like, you know how talented that guy is, but he, like, that's how hard those guys have to push if they want to win. Like it, you have to like basically not value your life as much as someone else. If you want to win that car now, like, I believe that I believe that they're, they're messed up a little bit. I mean, we're all messed up a little bit. They're just yeah. more messed up than we are. Yeah, a little bit more. I guess I should say a yeah. little more. Like, because, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like you talk about running out of water uh, in the, the rev limiter race. Imagine how that feeling would be if you didn't prep enough water for that car. <laughs> like, well, I think what's crazy is it's mandatory that underneath the bikes, um, between the skid pan and the motor, like the frame out, they actually have a water tank that's mandatory for uh to race like for tech inspection you need water on the bike in case you get lost out there and you don't die that's crazy i know they put um airbags on now this year they have to wear uh yeah like their jacket like their clothes are pretty impressive because they i think they almost wear their jackets kind of as like a backpack with water in them and i mean they start in the morning at you know sometimes well before dawn and uh it could be easily, I mean, I don't know, centigrade well, but a little bit, of, just a little bit above freezing, like a little bit above zero yeah. with no sun. And then by the end of the day, it could easily be well over 30 degrees. Yeah. Like that's a huge change in in temps. And they wear the same gear all day. Like, all day. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Yeah, man. And like, like I was listening to one fellow talk about his whole deal and just, uh, he had a bad start because his, his bike didn't go off or whatever. And he's whipping down and he's trying to make up time. So he's not looking at his map as much, uh, like the little roll chart. And then he started following tracks. And then he realized that all these guys had gone the wrong way. And so he's circling back and he's just like, fuck, you know, like, yeah. 
and I mean, not navigation yeah not knowing what's around the next corner yeah and some of those guys can just navigate like it's natural and then yeah. other people just like your first time there you're just yeah flipping through the map book and just yeah where am i going yeah and and it's a desert like uh i guess he was talking about the difference in the dunes like some would be kind of hard packed and some would be super soft so yeah you, it's kind of like snow yeah i mean and you probably don't get to ride too many dunes but there's there's definitely spots where like you can have like a snow drift or a sand drift where you could be riding on something that's kind of like somewhat hard. And then you like go off this edge where all the wind blows and it's just like you auger. There's yes. nothing. There's no holdup. Yeah. Like I just don't know. And then you're doing it as fast as, as your bike can go. Like, and you're looking for an extra gear. <laughs> I just, to me, it just seems yeah, like that car seems like, um, so like other than motorcycling, man, what else do you do? Like you fish or hunt or, um i ride bicycles but it's basically the same thing as motorcycles yeah uh and then i used to play a lot of basketball i'm so now that i hardly played at all forever and now sometimes in the afternoon i have nothing going on i'll take my kid to the park and basically i'll shoot basketballs and he'll just kind of run around with me because yeah. he's not cool doing it yet so i'm kind of getting back into basketball again so that's sweet and how old's your your son uh he's 15 months now i think oh sweet he's like at that pretty cool age where you can yeah he's he's like a maniac age maniac yeah. age yeah fair enough yeah. Yeah. like yeah. but no he's definitely super capable i mean like my uncle got us like a i got him like a t-ball kit thing for christmas and i showed him how to like put the big plastic ball on the tee and within like five minutes he was doing it i'm like how do you I don't know how do you how do you learn this so quick? But you can't swing worth a shit. But yeah, that's okay. <laughs> they have like little supercomputers for a brain, man. Like my my yeah, they seriously do. He's, he's gonna turn eight, and uh, I love the whole way through, man. Like the just the random like random stuff that they do. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like when they just sort of they reach new yeah. levels and it's unexpected. I I had him. It was, I don't know, maybe two months ago or a month and a half ago, I was out in the garage and I had him help me work on my bike. Um, I was testing out like a new throttle cam. So I wanted to make sure that I was getting full wide open at the, um, on the throttle and the fuel because I'm like 304 stroke. Yeah. So uh, I kind of take my frame mount off to see, like get to the throttle position sensor thing on the fuel injection. So I took off like the little 10 millimeter bolts on the frame mount and I put them on the ground and he was there with me and I had my impact gun and then also my 10 T handle. And I got all together, like figured it out, made sure it was opening up all the way. I was like, okay, we're good. And then I couldn't find one of the bolts. I'm like, where, the, like I could not find the bolt to put my bike back together. So I was like, God, where'd you put that thing? So I just gave up. I'm like, Oh, I'll go into my little bolt box thing. And I grabbed another bolt. And I put it in and then it was like two weeks later, I was moving bikes around in the garage and I go pick up the fender and I go to swing it off and I look down and you know how like on all the bikes, basically where the swing arm is, you can put the plastic frame guards on the frame and like the swing arm pivot bolt has like a hole in it. Normally he took the little bolt I had and like put it in like the hole in the frame right there. And I just assumed it was going to be on the ground. So like, they know whether like he's watching me put the bolt and holes and do that stuff. So 
he helped me, but he also didn't at the yeah. same time. Yeah, sometimes their help is pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> he also is obsessed with whenever it's like raining or snowing, we bring the dog bowl inside for water. Okay. And he, I don't know, kids are obsessed with splashing puddles. And I like you turn around for one second. I have like an Xbox I bought when I blew my knee out thinking I was going to play video games. And it lasted about two weeks until I can do more PT. And then I never played video games again for the last two years. But he, he took my ex, both my Xbox controllers and put them in the dog's water bowl. And I'm like, what are oh. you doing? And I only use Xbox now to watch Supercross because I have like the Peacock app on there. So they just do weird things. But then other times he does stuff that I'm like, how did you know? That's a miracle. Like you do, you knew what you were doing. Yeah. And then other times you just go, well, I just went five steps backwards. Yeah. They're experimenting. My dad's really into classic cars. And when I was younger, that's because it was kind of his passion. I mean, he always rode motorcycles and stuff too, but he would restore like old 44, like, a, you know, old Fords um, and Chevys, a couple Mustangs. And I guess he was like pretty much done with one. And I thought I was going to help because I'd be in the garage with watching him. And I grabbed sandpaper and started sanding something he had already painted. <laughs> so I think it's just all kids do stuff. <laughs> they're all like, I don't know, man, they're such a blessing, but like you pay for it. Like I love, yeah. kid. he he's so rad. Um, but then he does, he does like really weird stuff. Like we were on a plane one time, I think he was four years old and, um, it's just like the whole plane's quiet. We've been in flight just long enough. I think we're on our way to Hawaii where everyone just sort of settled in and got used to it. And, uh, he was having a good time and then whatever he had like his little iPad or whatever dropped on the floor and just like, shit. we're just like perfect then he gets up grabs his thing and sits down there it's just like i can't believe you said that just like my wife embarrassed beyond belief right but it's just like oh well they like they're just people man like they're tiny little people uh, limited to life experience and that's about it like you you got him on the bike now then or yeah yeah he's got uh a ktm um uh sx uh, 50 sx mini uh, mm-hmm. we had started out on an OSET. Then we went to, nice. um, Perfect. yeah, I liked the OSET cause it was like super controllable, you know? And then yeah. it just, he'd ask for more throttle, more throttle. And finally he maxed out his throttle. And then we started cranking up the, like, uh, I guess the horsepower. <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> then he went to the PW 50 because, uh, at the little races, the, the OSET didn't have enough battery power to, to make it through one PB race kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and then, um, he loved the PW 50 sort of could outride it. And then I got a good deal on the SX 50 and he just, he's, he was short. So we need to have a shorter bike. Uh, but that thing's sweet. Like and now he's shredding on that yeah. thing. Oh yeah. And it's got suspension, right? Like, yeah, uh, the yeah better than the PW 50. I remember we snapped the frame in half on ours when we were younger <laughs> Like, I think cause like everyone, like whoever buys a PW 50, it kind of just gets, ha- keeps getting handed down, handed down to the next kid as people, you know? And I don't know. It obviously was like, had been through the ringer already. And literally the frame kind of near the steering tube basically just snapped in half, but was still like hanging on at the top. So it just was fully choppered out like flat. And my dad, like, 
kind of bent it back together, like shoved it back together and then just put like brace steel pieces on each side and welded it back together. And like, I'm pretty sure he sold it to someone else, someone else that had kids for the same price he bought it for. Yeah. It's that's not one sweet thing about kids bikes is um, you don't really lose a lot of money on them. Like you would grown up bike. Yeah. like the, the secondhand market is pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Even with a cracked frame that you weld together. Yeah. And it's because uh, the problem with being a guy is that we can see the potential in something. So sure, it's got a cracked frame, and if the price is right, eh, and we'll never fix yeah, it. Yeah, I'll take it. So what what is your favorite bike to ride then? Um, like any anyone, it doesn't matter. It could be like uh, Triumph Bonneville. I don't really care. Like which bike? Oh, I mean, I just like riding my two stroke three hundred that I have now. Like you just can do anything on that bike. I mean, it's not great for moto tracks because my suspension is like marshmallows. Yeah. But I just like exploring on that bike. And then I was actually really impl- impressed with the Sherco 300 four-stroke. Um, I was weary of riding one. And then I basically pre-rode one or tested one out before Enduro Cross. Like two weeks before the series, yeah. I rode like one lap around the track. And I'm like, I have to ride this bike in Enduro Cross. I can't ride my two-stroke. <laughs> but, you know, at the end of the day... I grew up on two strokes. I like two strokes. So my sure go 300. I do have an old triumph that is, I was like mid restore on it. And I like, I didn't tear it down all the way to the frame, but I scrapped like all the electrical. I got rid of the mechanical um, timing on it and everything did electronic. And I got to the point where I could not, um, adjust the timing because I had to take off the whole case cover and the newer ones because mine's a 66. Okay. The newer ones came with like a little cap you can take off to adjust the timing with a timing light. But I tried taking my cover off and obviously there was all oil there. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know how to do this. So I took it to a shop, a guy I know that restores and works on old vintage bikes back in California before we moved. So he still has it there. They got it running. It sounds awesome. The seat was rotted out, so I had to order a seat for it. So I don't know when I'm going to get it, but I am excited to ride that thing when I do get it because it's 66. It's got the shifter on the right and the brake, the rear brakes on the left. So I don't know. It it started as a fun project when I got hurt, and there was like 60 years of grease on that freaking thing. I mean, like I. I washed it. I can't tell you how many times I pressure washed it, trying to get all the grease out of it. But I don't know. I'm just excited to start riding that bike whenever I drive to California and pick it up. You should fly to California and ride it back. And ride it back. That would be a cool story. I could probably get more views off YouTube doing that than any of my riding videos. Do like a whole blog post. Because that's that's kind of like a nostalgic bike that people appreciate, you know? Cross-country riding. Like I remember when I got my first motorcycle, uh, I bought it out of a guy's garage, went and registered and insured it. And then, uh, it was like basically near Toronto, Canada. And I drove it to Vancouver. Like uh, that's a far one. Yeah. I never even, never even rode a motorcycle. Like I had my license. That's it. Like, <laughs> but like beyond that's pretty cool. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Like, uh, it was probably, I don't know, I was like 19 or 20 years old and it was just super, super thrilling. And then I've done it in the other direction. Uh, like from the West coast to the East coast on a sports bike. And that was not as much fun. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
like the, the rain in, on, on a on a Honda CBR is uh, pretty annoying. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, at least it's just like a mini shield. If you get tucked, there's no shield at all on my bike. No, yeah, no, yours is crazy. The fellow down the road, he's got one, um, and I think they're just a beautiful bike. Like, uh, just the way they sound when they're running is awesome. Like, uh, yeah. you know, the, well, now that I got electronic, I change it to all electronic. Apparently they, cause everyone was like, Oh, they break down all the time with a mechanical timing. I'm sure they do. They're British. Like, uh, they, like I know my friend, he's always working on his, so I don't know how reliable they are. Um, it's always leaking. So it's pretty cool. That's a good thing though. Cause you just add oil and you know, it's not a problem. Yeah. When it stops leaking is when you know there's a problem because yeah, you ran right. out of oil. <laughs> <laughs> Way out of oil. No, like, uh, oh, yeah. Um, so have you ever, like, uh, have you ever done any competition in Canada? Uh, yeah, I raced rocks and logs a couple times. Um, I think only twice. I think I went twice. How'd you find that one? It was super cool. I liked it because it was like, a gnarly enduro cross track and it rained a ton and it was like really gnarly and um people were struggling so oh yeah they struggled there. <laughs> yeah it was it was good and uh the location's cool it's like right there in town almost overlooking the sky risers yeah it's a yeah the setting of it is kind of like the the stuff but the time of year it was so weird because i'm pretty far north and uh it was light till like 10 30 at night. And was, yeah. I was confused by that. Like, yeah. that's not normal. <laughs> it's so hard. Like, uh, we don't tell kids that they can go to bed when, uh, when it gets dark out. Cause that's, that's bullshit. It doesn't work. They'll know. Yeah. They'll never, they'll never go to bed. They'll be just, yeah. uh, awake at, at midnight. Like it's, I don't know, summertime. It's just insane. Like, uh, yeah. 11 o'clock is really pretty normal for, for sunset, which is kind of ridiculous in July and August. Yeah, I just that was weird for me. But oh, and it was really hard getting into Canada. You guys are sticklers. How? Because I, I had to like, basically lie to them that I wasn't going for a race because I think they were super worried about taxes on purses, purse winnings. Oh, okay. So I was like, oh, I'm going riding with friends. Where are you going? Oh, out in the mountains outside Calgary. Which bike are you riding? Like, how, you don't have a bike. I'm like, oh, I'm borrowing a bike from my buddy. Like, I just. Yeah. I kept lying through my teeth to get in. That's crazy. Well, they, I guess, yeah. They're very xenophobic at our border. <laughs> they don't yeah, apparently. Those. Yeah. <laughs> we aren't anymore. We Apparently, we were for a while, but things have changed with our uh, presidency swap, I guess. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. I want to thank my guests for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. A special thank you to you, my supporters. Without you, this would not be possible. If you enjoyed the show, give it a five-star rating. And if you haven't already, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to take the three-episode challenge. Once again, thank you for your continued support, and stay tuned to find out what's coming up next time.